We've been in our series, um, The Paradox of Life, and I'm going to shift gears just a little bit today in context of that message. We've been talking a lot, and we are going to read our, our main scripture out of Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, uh, where Jesus posed the statement that created a paradox of life. And that was, then Jesus called the crowd of his, and, excuse me, and his disciples to him. If any one of you want to come to me, he told them, you must forget yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and the gospel, you will save it. Again, that, that, that paradox that Jesus created was, can you actually die and live and Jesus said you could, that you could lay your life down, if you will, and pick up the life that he came to provide, and you will have come across, if you will, that threshold into eternal life. It's not just this life, if you will, that this life ends at the point where this body is laid to rest, or where it's, you know, from dust you came and to dust you'll return. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that death is actually swallowed up by life. By laying our life down to live for him in this life, we actually gain eternal life. And there's a phrase that I would say Jesus posed, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Paul the Apostle said that, but it was off the premise of Jesus proclaiming himself to be life. And Jesus is the bread of life. He said of himself that he was the bread of life. And that when we partake of him, a relationship with him, a, a meaningful, uh, intimate relationship with Christ, and, and that word intimate meaning that it's not just something where we see him as distant, it's not, not something we see him far off, but it's something we see him very close to us. I see Jesus, my relationship to Christ is a, uh, uh, a, a closer relationship than that that I have with my wife. But it's very similar, see? Paul the Apostle made a statement about the uh, husbands and wives that we read out of Ephesians uh, last week, that if you will, it leads into that place, that that paradox, if you will, if I want to have a great marriage, I'll lay my life down for my wife, and guess what? I end up having a great marriage. I have life in my marriage because I lay my life down. Can you see that? It's the same thing when we lay our, our life down. Jesus laid his life down for us, and when we accept what he's done for us, we actually have life. And he asks us in this passage of scripture to follow in his example, to lay our life down so that we can gain it. He laid his life down and gained so much more. And that is all of us sitting right here today. Anyone who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ is an increase of life for the kingdom of God. That the life of God would dwell in us. That others could see and have that invitation to come to him as well. So, so when Jesus poses this paradox, it kind of brings us to that place of where we have to ask the question, can we gain that life? We lay our life down. Why would we lay our life down? We would lay our life down because we place greater faith in what Jesus has offered us than what we can gain on our own. You have a sheet in front of you. It should have the outline. But if you write that down, that you, you stand to gain the greater life because of placing faith in Jesus Christ, placing faith in what he has promised to give you. In Mark 9, 
we're going to read this morning, that there was such a man that um, his son didn't really have, if you will, a quality of life. He was alive, but he didn't have quality of life. And the father comes seeking help from the disciples. And as we're heading into this fast, I'm, I might pose again that at that point you're putting your flesh under. You're dying to yourself so that you might give greater place to Christ, greater place to God's word, greater place to the Holy Spirit working in your life. As you read the word of God and you pray, you're giving him access to that which normally is focused on self. When you yield that over, you give an opportunity for God to work through you in a greater way. And this passage of scripture will give us a a wonderful picture of the importance of fasting and prayer. And disciples were learning from Jesus how to lay their life down so that they could gain a far greater life. And I would say a life walking in faith, or if you will, living in faith. Mark 9, 17 through 24 says, One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever uh, this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the boy, or excuse me, threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. A spirit often throws him into the fire or, or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I would suggest to you that, again, in the paradox of life, Jesus sets before us life and death. Jesus poses to us, I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. And that life can only be gained in Him, a relationship with Him. How is it that you increase your relationship with God? By denying yourself and giving Him place. By putting your flesh under and giving place to your spirit. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He is wrestling with His own flesh. He is wrestling with His will, His desires, if you will, in that moment, not to go to the cross, not to lay His life down, that He might gain a far greater life. Because the Bible says that, 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 that he has been highly exalted. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians 4, we read that, that it says that when he uh, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What did that have to do with? It had to do with Every bit of it is, is a propitiation, if you will, or a, uh, of, of the work of Christ to be done through the saints as a result of being equipped by the gifts that he gave for the very reason he ascended, and that was that captivity would no longer exist upon our life. We would not be captive to the things of this world, that we would not be captive to the lusts of our flesh, that we would not be captive to our own demise, 
But rather, as we yield our life, as we lay our life down, what happens is we receive the life that Christ came to give us. You missed a wonderful place to say amen. It's true. Every bit of that is true. So, um, when you think about uh, the idea of faith, when you face a crisis in life, if you face difficulty or you know, decisions that you're making, just like Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's having to make that decision. He did make that decision, mind you. It was the moment that he said, nevertheless, say that for me, nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I don't know about you, but most times when I've got to die to myself so that Christ can live in me, guess what happens? I'm having to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God, help me. See, just like this father's crying out, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Is it any different for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Hmm? He's facing that moment of giving up life so that greater life can be gained. And he's got to lay his will down. This father is looking at his natural circumstance. What causes us to hang on to this life? What causes us to hang on to our own solutions? What causes us to hang on to, 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 to what others might offer that aren't gonna, that's not going to lead us to that place of the life of Christ working for us? Let me, let me pose it this way. Um, I saw a, a testimony of a, of a man who was diagnosed with, it was with a tumor and the, and the doctor said it was malignant. That's bad. You understand? Size of a soccer ball in his belly, in his abdomen. And, and when he's facing that moment and the doctor tells him it's malignant, we've tested the tissue, so on and so forth, here, here's what he, he looks back to, how he grew up. And the messages that had been preached growing up in the church, he's, he's not in the church at this moment, but he remembers back the messages that he heard about Jesus coming to give life. That Jesus, by his stripes, this was his statement, he said that I knew that by his stripes I was healed. I had never needed that before. I'd never been in a circumstance before where I needed that. And mind you, when the doctor said it was malignant, and he said that there, there, there's very little hope for you. Where is he at at that moment? He's facing death. He's going to lose his life. Like I said last week, the woman with the issue of blood, it wasn't anything for her. She had already spent what she had and gone to every doctor she could to be uh, met with what? They can't help. She's to the end of, of any hope of life through the means of man and in that moment, in desperation, she turns to what? If I can but just touch the hem of his, all I got to do is touch the hem of his, look, you don't even have to say anything, you don't have to do anything, Jesus, I'm just going to walk up and touch the hem of your garment, and I know I'll be made whole. Can somebody say that's a whole lot of faith? See, she's living in faith at that moment. Would you say she was living in faith when she was going to the doctors? Actually, yes, she was. She had faith that the doctors could help her. It was only at the point where they couldn't. Look, I believe that what God's given us in our abilities, he has, he's given us a brain. Say, so God has given me a brain. And he intends us to use it, correct? But he doesn't intend us to use what he's given us to deny him in our life. Come on, somebody. He doesn't give us 
all those abilities so that we're in a place where we can deny him access to our life. He has given us all that so that we can actually give him access. And here's the awesome thing about it. Why did God choose the foolishness of what I'm up here doing with you right now? When God could just, you know, God could just like sit down on top of this building, peel the metal back, look down and say, hey, I'm real. Hey, I want to work in your life. Could he do that, somebody? He could do that, correct? Why doesn't he? Because wouldn't you believe a whole lot more by seeing something like that than listen to somebody up here shouting? I normally don't shout. I'm excited. I didn't think I was, I told the guys, I'm not going to preach today. You know, I'm just going to go through my outline. I just can't help myself. It's like fire shutting my bones. Who said that? Anybody? Jeremiah the prophet. Tried to, you know, quiet himself, and he just couldn't. He got so excited about what God's doing that he had to proclaim it so that people would get it and understand for their generation that there was hope. What, what, what am I referring to? I'm referring to the fact that Jeremiah is the same prophet that says, uh, from the Lord, thus saith the Lord, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of a future and a hope. Not of evil, but of a future and a hope. It's never been any different. When you go back and read stories in the Bible, you got people who are striving and struggling and reaching for life. And ultimately in those stories, when they're trying to gain it on their own, out of their own effort, guess what happens? They fall short. When they did turn to God, as I said last week, and they're focused on God and they're worshiping God and they're giving him rightful place and access to their life because he did give us free will, we can deny him or accept him. If we deny him, we are denied the life that he came to give us. If we accept him, we receive all the life that is in Christ himself. We're not Jesus, but the awesome thing is, is that everything Jesus came to take and possess for us you know what it's called? An inheritance. He'll deny us no good thing. There might be a lot of things right now that you feel like God's denying you. The question you got to ask yourself, is that a good thing? Is it a good thing for you right now? It's not much different than the stories we read in the Bible. Where, where you know, why is it that, that we read stories and we see people and they're doing good and then they go through hard times? What is it about that? Job went through it. What was being tested in Job? Someone? His faith was being tested. And faith is faithfulness. Your faith won't work if you're not faithful. See, in, in the hard times when you're faithful to God, that's when faith is at work. When you, when you give up on God because things are too hard, guess what? Is anything impossible? What did we just read? Nothing is impossible. Say nothing. Nothing is impossible with him who believes. And what did the man cry out? Lord, I believe. So here's what this is declaring for us. Our faith has limitation. Come on now. Our faith has limitation to it. But there is no limitation to Jesus. When we come to that place where we, we just can't quite get there, or we can't quite trust or, or believe for something, or, or, or ask God to work in our life, the reality is, is that's the time to cry out help. That's the time to ask for his mercy in our life. God, 
I believe, but help me in my unbelief. In other words, here I know that you're capable. I'm not. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Will you connect with me? Will you come and work and help me in my unbelief? And what do we see that Jesus, hap- uh, Jesus does here? He casts the demon out of the boy. Now later on, here's, here's kind of the, the finish up of that story. The disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus says to him, these only come out but by prayer and fasting. These will come out. In other words, the level of your power, the level of God's power in your life, let me say it this way, the level of God's life in your life is less of you and more of him. Then when you put yourself under and you give him access what happens? His life increases. John the Baptist said it very well. He said, when the disciples were saying, hey, they're going around, they're following him, they're following Jesus around. And John the Baptist says this, he must increase and I must decrease. Do you know all of us need the same proclamation in our life in following Christ is we need to decrease and he needs to increase in our life. When he increases in our life, when we, when we are in fellowship with him, greater relationship with him, what happens is, is things that are difficult or, or those crisis moments or those challenges that we face in life, it's amazing how small they look by comparison to how big our God is. Amen? And so in the midst of that, um, what I want to do is I want to leave you with some lessons for living in faith this morning. We're going to take that from Hebrews 11, which we all probably know to be what's called the hall of faith this is where uh, many of the men and women of God are spoken of in in uh, reference to their walk the challenges they faced and how they overcame them and and came through them in faith and so lessons for living in faith Hebrews 11 1 through 2 says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And we're going to look at some of those elders. But by their faith, they obtained a good testimony. And what was that? The challenges that they had in life. The things that would cause them to disbelieve God. They held on to their trust or their faith in God. Therefore, they lived in faith. So, number one, Abel's lesson. Abel's lesson. Abel's lesson is, put God first. Put God first. Hebrews eleven four. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness. Underline that word right there. Which, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Even though he's dead, his the witness he had of the righteousness that was there as a result of his faith in God became a testimony. And not only his testimony, but it became part of the canon. Became part of what was spoken for others to pen about his testimony. So God testified by the Holy Spirit because the word of God was written as men wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So God testifies for the rest of us about Abel's faith in him. Now that's some pretty heavy stuff when God's testifying about you. Come on somebody. Y'all with me this morning? You want God to be testifying about your faith in him? 
How about the devil? I'm going to throw this one in there. But how about the devil when he came to Job, or to God, excuse me, he came to God accusing the only reason why Job serves you is because of everything you do for him. Somebody say life. <laughs> everything you do for him is under, well, yeah, absolutely Job's serving God because God's blessing him, right? But what God says, he says, you know, look, all that can be taken away and Job will not deny me. Job won't curse me. Job won't deny me because his faith is in me. And, and so Satan, of course, we know, Lucifer, what's he do? He continues to attack Job, takes everything, and then he comes back, he goes, well, look, you know, it's because you got this hedge of protection, so he takes his children, die, all this happens to him, and, and ultimately it comes down to, all the way down to, well, look, you know, he's still got his own health, he's still healthy, so Job's stricken with boils, and I mean, he's just, he's done. He's outside, basically in the backyard. And sackcloth and ashes. Miserable. Having served God, he is facing like, hey, no, look, I'd rather die. I, I, you know, I loathe the day that I was born. This is what he's saying. Job isn't denying God. He's not cursing God. What he's doing is saying, look, I'd rather die than be alive. I wish I was never born. Anybody ever been there? You ever been in such a hard place? You're like, man, I just wish I was dead. Why was I ever born? That's where Job was. It got so bad that his wife's at the door of the tent, and you know what she says? Just go ahead and curse God and die. Job doesn't curse God. Job holds on to his faith in God, even though he's lost faith in himself. You want to know what happened through that process? Job died to himself even more. Because to go through hardship and not curse God is dying to oneself. We know that Abel's worship of God in this moment cost him his life. He found favor with God, and because he found favor with God, it invoked jealousy in his brother. And he took his life, he murdered him. Listen to Genesis 4, 3 through 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. It almost seems like God, well, why did God reject Cain? Cain brought him an offering, but Cain brought him an offering that was outside of what God has asked for. Because nothing will deal with sin but blood. Grain won't, look, uh, uh, by, what will you do with the, 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 you, the earth is cursed from this day forward if you go back and read that story from this day forward the earth is cursed and you will till it but by the sweat of your brow and through toil is how you'll make your living off the earth god curse the ground do you get what i'm saying here everything that had been created from before the moment where mankind fell chose to deny god in their life to look I'll be as God. I'm going to look. Isn't that the lie that the devil told? And they accepted that. And what happened was, is that that at that point, the earth was cursed. And now man's got to work by the sweat of his brow. For everything he gains, it comes through his own labor. And that's not what God's given us through Christ. It's not by our own labor. It's by our acceptance. It's by our faith in him. Where, Where Adam gave up faith in the garden, in God, in the way he created things to be. When he handed that over. What he inherited at that moment was a cursed earth. And what Cain brought to God was a cursed offering. 
It wasn't wrong for him to give a grain offering. It was wrong for him to bring the grain offering in place of the blood offering. That only by blood is the sin. See, atonement is what that has to do with. And what Christ did when he shed his blood is he atoned for our sins once and for all. From the garden, we think it's with Moses and the law and the priests and the temple and everything that we see at Easter time about the, 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 the Passover. That's a big part of it, but it didn't originate um, you know, with the temple being built. It originated, if you will, it didn't originate with Moses back here where they put the blood over the doorpost and the, uh, the angel of death would pass over. That's where Passover began. No, it's not. Passover began when Adam and Eve sinned and God came walking in the cool of the day. Walking in the garden. Adam, where are you? Calling for Adam, wanting to fellowship with him, wanting to be close with his son and his daughter. And Adam said, we hid. Why did you hide? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, the woman gave me the fruit. Adam goes into the blame game. She did it, right? No, they did it. And Adam had a responsibility to cover and protect his wife. Come on now. And so so what, what happens in that moment? The Bible says that God brought animal skins to them to cover them, to cover their nakedness. The first shedding of blood, look, the first time blood was shed was for the covering of Adam and Eve. That blood was shed and the skins now covered them. Clothing covered them where it used to be the glory of God that clothed them. That's another sermon all by itself. But when you look at Abel's lesson, Abel's lesson about putting God first, we don't get into any greater trouble. No greater trouble comes in our life than than when we put God down on the list. When we keep God first in our life, it tends to order our priorities. If God is first in my life, here's the thing. Angie, have I ever mistreated you? (laughs) Of course I have. Danielle, have I ever mistreated you? Sure. I can say if my other kids were in here, they'd say, I live the closest with them, right? They see me. They've seen me in my worst. Most of you haven't. Some of you have. Who's seen me angry before? Don't raise your hand. You know? We all have our stuff, but here's the deal. See, I have found that when God's first in my life, it has a way of influencing everything else I do. Come on now. If he's first, then nothing else can influence me. Save it go through my relationship with God. And it has a tendency to flow out right when that's the case. Come on now. Abel's lesson of putting God first will cause you to approach life the way God meant you to approach it. Two, Enoch's lesson. Walk with God. Walk with God. Put him first and walk with him. That, that, that place, if you will, of fellowship with God, relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. What Adam lost in the garden, Enoch, somehow Enoch was able to come across walking with God the way Adam was meant to from the beginning. Hebrews eleven five By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. What's that say there? Does that mean that what, he didn't taste death? Wait a minute. You mean Enoch walked with God so much so that he actually went on without tasting death? 
Do you know that when Jesus died, he died on that cross, a real death. But do you know when he died, the reality is he wasn't destined to remain dead. Right? He was resurrected from the dead. That's what makes him different than anybody else that's ever walked this planet. Is that he was resurrected by the Spirit of God. Now, the only other resurrections I know about came through the power of God. Jesus called Lazarus for. But here's the deal. Lazarus still had to die. Once Jesus died and was resurrected, he's going to live forevermore. You all with me now? Here's the cool thing about following in that kind of life. Colossians says that when we die, we don't even feel it sting. That we'll die, we won't even feel the sting of death. That we die and we, death itself is swallowed up by life. That, that even though we can live in Christ and have that greater life now, the abundant life, the reality is, is that when we live that kind of life now and die, we don't actually die. We just go on into life like we've never known it before. So much greater, amen? Enoch experienced that before Jesus died on the cross. Enoch walked with God so close that he was taken away so that he did not, he did not see death. Listen to this. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had, wait a minute, he had, say he had. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Genesis 5.24, it says, and Enoch walked in habitual, this is the amplified version. He walked in habitual habit forming relationship or fellowship with God. And he was not, for God took him home with him. Imagine getting so close with God in relationship. It's kind of like, you know, when I met Angie, right? We get to know each other a little bit. I just want to take her home with me. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the caveman drag. You know what I'm saying? By the hair and you take them home with you. Correct? God and Enoch were so close that basically God's like, hey, come, come to my home. I mean, I've been coming down here hanging out with you. You know, fellowshipping, walking in the garden, if you will, the cool of the day kind of stuff. But I, I'd just like you to come hang out with me in the throne room all the time. I think that's a great testimony. The awesome thing is, is guess what? That was Enoch's testimony about himself. Can you imagine being so close to God, so confident in your faith in him and who he is in your life? that you really don't care what anybody else thinks about what you say. Because I don't know about you, when I read that statement, I'm thinking, people are walking around going, Enoch has lost his mind. Come on, am I right? You get so close to God that you start talking about, you know what, I please God. Who would think that to be an arrogant statement? Come on now. Somebody's like, I know I please God. Uh, come on, it's true. You'd be like, who do they think they are? You know, I know I'm messed up. All men have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned, right? So how can you please God? Because I'm so close to Jesus. And I so understand what he did. And I so understand that he is my Enoch that allows me to walk so close to Jesus that I'm in fellowship even, even though I have to contend with this flesh because of what Jesus did. I can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain, come on now, mercy what did that father cry out lord i believe but help me in my unbelief have mercy on us that's what we do when we approach him 
And here's the neat thing, that we have confidence towards God. Here's the neat thing about John, 1 John, excuse me. 1 John says, if your conscience condemns you, God is greater than your conscience. You may have some things that are going on that you're like, I can't walk close with God because this is going, you know, I don't trust God here and I don't trust God there and I've got this thing going on over here. I got that thing going on over there and I just, there's no way I could get close to God. That's not what the Bible tells us. Because of his work, because of his work, our work becomes easier. See, my salvation isn't of works. And I may have to put some effort for for relationship. But the neat thing is, is I don't have to walk in condemnation where my relationship is concerned. I have a confidence towards him because of what he has done. Amen? Come on, guys. You with me this morning? You enjoying this? That's a better response. So <laughs> you're taking it in. That's good. Number three, Noah's lesson. Act. Say act. Act on God's word. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. That's no different than what Jesus did on the cross. He was obedient. Even though he wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane with his own flesh, he was obedient. Not my will, but thine be done. And what he becomes is he becomes that ark that we all come into. And guess what? We become the righteous generation that has been saved through the works of Christ. The neatest thing about that is that means we're his family. Noah saved his family. Jesus is all about saving his family. Come on now. He's all about saving the ones he loves. You know who that is? It's just you and I, right? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. James 2 and 22 says it this way. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Here's the deal. I didn't do the work. I accept the work. There's my faith. And because of my faith, see, there's an acting upon what he did. And then the manifestation of that is my salvation. Not of my works, simply of my faith in what Christ has done. Number four, Abraham's lesson. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. How many of you have ever found that impatience has been your worst enemy? You know, it's like, it's got to happen now. You know, we are the cheeseburger generation. Come on now, right? When I pull up to that window, it better be handed through the window. You know what I'm saying? Like, just wait a moment. It's like, wait, is this fast food or not? I just want to know, you know? You know, and they're like, well, sir, you know, we've got this going on and that going on. So I apologize, you know, it's going to be a few minutes. It's like a few minutes, that's not fast food, right? We are that way. How many of you have had a computer and you're satisfied with it till you use somebody else's, and it's, you know, you're thinking, what? And then you go back to use your computer after you've used theirs. Huh? And it feels like this. If, if you've ever seen the rabbit and the tortoise, you were okay until you used that computer that was, like, loaded up within, you know, a split second. You go back to your cute computer, and it's just like a turtle. Is crying. You've seen the, what is it, um, that turtle where he's talking to his wife? 
His turtle wife, if you will. Huh? Comcast, right? And he's all good with his, you know, slow internet, right? I'm telling you right now, man, it's no different for us. We want things and we want them now. I want it and I want it now. I want a great relationship and I want it now. I want a great marriage and I want it now. I want, I want a great family and I want it now. I want a new house and I want it now. I want a new car and I want it now. I want a new job and I want it now. Patience is not something that comes easy. And I would say, especially in our culture. Can you say amen? It's not easy. And it's especially not easy when it's not for you. I might wait on something that's for me. The question is, would I wait on it for my great-great-grandchildren? Are you with me here? I might wait on something that's meant for me. Question is, will I wait on something from God that will only be for my great-great-grandchildren? And will I be faithful? Will I walk or live in the kind of faith that isn't even necessarily going to bless me, it's going to bless my great-great-grandchildren? Well, I live in the kind of faith that is a legacy faith. I think that's why America has fallen so far. It's why we're a post-Christian generation, or post-Christian nation, I should say. It's because we've not believed for the generations to come. We believe for what we can have right now. And we focus on right now. And we don't see down the road and how important down the road is. His word just... It's not just a lamp unto my feet, but it's a light unto my path. And my path includes my family, my children's children, and their children after them. Then one generation will proclaim the wondrous works of our God to the next. Perpetuate the kingdom of God from generation to generation. And why is that so important? Because had Abraham not had that kind of faith, had he not walked in that kind of living faith, We wouldn't have anything that we have today. His faith brings about the promise. Listen to this. Hebrews 6.15 And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Where was that at? That wasn't why he was alive. He he, he, he inherited some things, but he didn't inherit the ultimate promise. Even when he got the promise, guess what? God told him, hey, you're not going to enter in, but it'll be the fourth generation that enters in. When God made his promise to Abraham, Abraham already knew that it's going to be the fourth generation that will possess the promise that I'm promising you today. But if you'll live and walk in faith, then I'll bless those that come after you. Saints, that includes us. Listen, Hebrews 10, 37 through 38. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Abraham never draw back from his trust in God. He made a few missteps. He made a few missteps. He, He, watch, there was patience in Abraham, but guess what? Before there was patience, this gives us hope as believers. You know why? Before Abraham had patience, he didn't. (laughs) Come on, does that sound about like your life, right? Before he had patience, he didn't. How do I know that? (laughs) Because God said, look, with you and Sarai, you're going to have a child, right? 
And that's going to be the promise. Through, through Isaac, the promise will, will be fulfilled. Okay? He promises that. And they're going along. And I don't know about you, but circumstance probably played a little bit in there. You know, they're in the, you know, the 90s. when she, Sarah's in her 80s and he's in his 90s when God makes the promise to him. He's clicking into the 100 range and she's clicking into the 90 range. And we're going to have a baby. Looks impossible, right? Maybe your situation looks impossible sometimes and you want to take it into your own hands because look, God, I know that you're always on time, but you've missed a whole lot of opportunities to be early here. Right? Abraham's in the same boat. Sarah Sarah at that point, she's in the same place. Here's what she says. You know what? Maybe God's will is for you to take my maidservant and have a child with her. Where was that in what God said to Abraham? It wasn't there. All I know is he's a guy. The wife's kind of, you know, look, I don't know about having a baby at 90. Come on, ladies, help me out here. I know you, you know, and you want to have a baby at 90, right? She's thinking, you know what? My maidservant's younger. Why don't she give us a child? That, that may be God's way to do that, right? Start taking things into their own hands, start figuring it all out, and, you know, not looking to God to find out. And what ends up happening? They create Ishmael. By the way, all the Arab countries that are trying to kill the Israelis, guess what? It's still going on. Take things into your own hands. They produced a child out of the flesh, out of their own self-will. And what comes from that? Conflict for your promise. Take things into your own hand and oftentimes they become the conflict that works against God's will for your life. And you find yourself wrestling. And you know what? I don't know about you, but when I've had those moments, I'm kind of like, God, I thought you said. Come on now. And God goes, yeah, I did say, but that wasn't a part of it. Amen? So make sure that you have some patience. Abraham definitely developed. They had to wait. They had to wait a little bit longer to have Isaac. And the cool thing is if you look at the patience that Abraham had, though, he still aligned himself, got himself in alignment with God, and still acted according to his will after some repentance. And what happened? God blessed them with Isaac. And out of Isaac... The promise came. Jesus is a descendant of that bloodline. Amen. So, uh, number five, Moses' lesson. Moses' lesson, don't trust your feelings. Whatever you do, don't put a lot of trust in your feelings. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, great riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing he who is invisible. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. Now here's the thing about Moses. Moses sees uh, a fellow Hebrew being beaten, and he takes it into his, he, he, the Bible says he got angry. He took things into his own hands and he murdered an Egyptian. Right? That murder, by the way, murder is not a part of God's will no matter what the situation. You understand? See, that word there, he didn't kill, it wasn't a war, it wasn't for the protection of his family, it wasn't something like that. He got angry and he killed him. He murdered him. 
He stepped outside the will of God. And he ended up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Doing what? Becoming mature. Dealing with his emotion. Dealing with his feelings. And understanding that out of humility, you know, you lead according to God's word. He knew he was the chosen one. The thing about it is he wasn't patient, as we just learned, patient, so that when he moved, it wasn't out of emotion, but it was from the word of God. When he heard God speak, then he questioned himself. But because he had God's word, he was able to go and do exactly what God ordained him to do. Don't, don't let emotion, don't let your feelings get the best of you in the midst of situations. If they do, you often find yourself making the mistake of stepping outside the will of God to take things, oh, by the way, to pick your life up rather than lose it so that you can gain it. Joshua, number six, Joshua's lesson, uh, thank God in advance. Joshua, when he prays with the, 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 uh, the, the Israelites to go into the promised land, Hebrews 11.30, this is what it says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. All they did was what God said to do. And they gave thanks. Well, before they ever went in, Joshua tells the people, sanctify yourself. He declares to them, God is the one that's going to do it for us. There's faith involved in that. Their prayer and, and obedience to just simply go do what God said to do. Now, I don't know about you, but you got an enemy. And in the natural, wouldn't you say, I'm going to go just march around the outside of this place they probably have archers. But imagine the enemy watching you just like singing. Walking around the walls of Jericho just singing. You know? I don't know about you. I was in the army. I'd probably be like, what the world are they doing? Right? They're worshiping God. Walking around that place, worshiping God. That's it. You know, really, that was prayer. All they're doing is looking to God to be the answer. Take some faith to look to God to be your answer. You know, when you look, I can do this myself. We can do this ourselves. Let's go in and let's, let's attack them. Can you imagine Joshua saying to the children of Israel, hey, let's go in and attack them. You know what would have happened? They would have died. They would have perished. Instead, they march around the walls of Jericho, and on that final day, it's with a shout. So if you ever thought church is supposed to be nice and quiet, let me just say to you, look, if you're facing obstacles to possess the life that God has said he will give you, the day that a breakthrough happens is the day that you proclaim without any question in your heart that God will show up and do exactly what he promised you to do. When they shouted on that last day, here's the thing. They shouted with faith in their heart that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And they had been faithful for seven days. Say faithful. Faithful for seven days to do what he said, no matter how stupid it felt, to march around the outside of this place. Right? And we're not going to do a Jericho march today, just so you know. But you might want to do a Jericho march in your heart concerning the walls that are standing between you and the promises of God for your life. And march and march and march around that situation 
until there's such confidence in you at the moment that he reveals to you that this is it. And just give a good shout. Praise God or whatever it may be that you feel to give him honor and glory. But in the midst of that, watch those things come crashing down so that you can possess the promise that God has for you. That's what they did. That's what they did. And I I guarantee you this. Nothing will tear down the walls of your um, situations and, and complications more than gratitude in your heart towards God for what you already have. Being content about what he's done in your life and giving him thanks and honor so that he can continue to do things for you. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you do something for them and and they're not grateful, you're just looking to do something else, aren't you? No, you're going to, you know, you're going to learn how to be grateful. (laughs) I promise you God's a good parent. You're going to learn how to be grateful, you know. And sometimes there's pressures. He won't put, he's not going to put evil on us, right? But he might allow a little pressure so that we get proper perspective of who he is and who we are. And when that's aligned right and we're approaching him with a heart of gratitude, then when we look our situ- at our situations, we're looking a little bit different. Why is that? Because we see him for who he is. See, if God's my equal, what can he do for me? It's only when I see how big my God is and become grateful for how big he is that I can see that situation and know that is nothing. Amen? Finally, seventh and final lesson, God always does the right thing. Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40. Uh, and all these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That's referring to us, saints. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I really believe that in that final lesson that God always does the right thing. God always does the right thing. No no matter what is going on around us, God is doing the right thing. It's like, well, he's not doing the right thing for me. God always does the right thing. And when we have that perspective, it keeps him in the right place for our life. And as it says right here, how's he thinking about your situation? How's he thinking about getting the word of God Read the word and find out how he thinks about things. Because guess what? Although his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways, it's not like he's left us in the dark. He's given us the Bible. He's given us the word of God so that we can read it to understand his thoughts. What does God think about your your finance? What does he think about your workplace? What does he think about your friends who are lost or saved? What does he think about your family? What does he think about your marriage? Do you, you hear me here? What's he think about all those things? The Bible speaks to it. And if you can find out what his thoughts is and align yourself to that, I promise you he'll show up in ways that you could only dream of to give you life. So let me pose this. Is your crisis bringing you to the brink of destruction? Is your, write this down. Is your crisis bringing you to the brink of destruction or beyond your obstacle into your destiny in a walk of faith. See, these people, though they face crisis, 
what happened was is they walked into their destiny. They overcame their obstacles. And they walked in the destiny that God had for them to fulfill. So rather than being destroyed, this is what Paul the Apostle said. Cast down, right? But not destroyed. Where does that come from? Faith in God. <clears throat> when we think about it, we make resolutions. Uh, most of us make resolutions at the beginning of the year. You know what? Honestly, we make resolutions all through the year. When you face a crisis or you go through a hard thing, you think, I'm never doing that again. Well, I'll never trust them again, or I'll never do this, or I'll never do that. You know, I'm not going to eat carbs, you know, for the rest of the year. Right? <laughs> no carbs. And then, you know, the first thing that happens is you got a bag of Doritos in front of you, and you're like, scarfing them, you're like, oh, man. Right? Come on now, you with me? Hmm. I said that the other day. I'm like, no more carbs at night. And the Doritos are sitting there, and I'm eating Doritos, and I'm like, about, you know, two handfuls in, and I'm like, Oh, man, you know, something about it. You know, we have to actually, there's discipline. And I use that as a simple illustration, but the reality is, is if we want the kind of life that Jesus came to give us, we need to be disciples. We've got to discipline ourselves, amen? So I have a few stories to, to finish up here with, um, and that is I thought we might enjoy these stories, the resolutions people made. A story is told that at the beginning of a new year, a high school principal decided to post his teacher's new year's resolutions on the bulletin board. As the teachers gathered around the bulletin board, a great commotion started. One of the teachers was complaining. Why weren't my resolutions posted? She was throwing such a temper tantrum that the principal hurried to his office to see if he had overlooked her resolutions. Sure enough, he had mislaid them on his desk. As he read her resolution... He was astounded. This teacher's first resolution was not to let little things upset her in the new year. <laughs> or how about this one? A son called his parents to wish them a happy new year. And when his dad answered the phone, he asked his dad, Well, dad, what's your new year's resolution? His dad replied, To make your mother as happy as I can all year. When his mom got on the phone, he asked her the same question. His mom replied, my resolution is to see your dad keep his New Year's resolution. <laughs> oh, man. And then here, uh, where's that? Here we go. Or some of you may have uh, given up on resolutions, taking the same attitude as the characters in the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes. The cartoon character Calvin uh, from Calvin and Hobbes once said, God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind, I'll never die. <laughs> I think it's very fitting, you know. Uh, sometimes we think that there's another way around to live. And I'll just tell you right now, there's only one way to live, and that's by dying. There's only one true way to live. It's laying your life down and picking his up, amen. So I want to encourage you to overcome your obstacles uh, to do this, we must identify them and apply the lessons that we've learned here today. Maybe many more. But what keeps you, what keeps you from putting God first? What keeps you from walking with God? What keeps you from acting on His Word? Write these down. They're not on your notes. It's something that hit me before I, this morning before I actually got here and had Mike put it on the overhead for you. But I want you to be asking yourself these questions in regard to the lessons we've learned today. Is what keeps you from putting God first? What is it that keeps you from walking with God? 
What keeps you from acting on his word? What keeps you from waiting patiently? What keeps you from following your feelings and emotions, if you will? What is it that you need to, to recognize there? What keeps you from thanking God? And what keeps you from trusting God will do the right thing? What is it that makes us question God? Like, I don't know if I can trust you. I just would ask that we'd bow our heads at this moment. and I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and challenge us in these areas that, that we could actually be overcomers. And that we could come through this and walk in the faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, where so many before us were able to do that. Able to see God as, as, as taking them into the life that he promised them. So Heavenly Father, right now we come to you. I thank you so much for, first and foremost, for your love for us. And God, I pray in, uh, Lord, the coming days and months ahead that this would be something we put in front of us. And God, there's uh, probably many messages that, Lord, we hear and we want to apply to our life. But Lord, it's so necessary for us to see the examples that have been set of people who have been able to live in faith. Because God, uh, it is truly where life manifests. Jesus, every time you saw faith, it wasn't just that people could be raised from the dead. It wasn't just that they could inherit eternal life. But it was that in this current life, they had a higher quality of life. That whatever you did where faith was present, the Lord, there was a quality of life and a promise of eternal life. So, Father, I'm praying both those things for us. The Lord, concerning our relationship with you, Father, that we look to that day that we get to be in heaven with you and just living for all eternity and not wrestling and battling uh, with the flesh and the, the, the fallen condition of this world. But God, you have given us the ability by the power of your spirit and Lord, by the authority of your word to live an abundant life now, right here and right now, that we can have a higher quality of life because we have faith in you. So God, I'm praying for both of those things, that there would be a, an elevated sense, a heightened sense, Lord God, of our uh, living for the life to come, the eternal life that we've been called to, and trusting in you, Father, for that quality of life here and now. That, Lord, we're a testimony of those that see us, a testimony to them, and a testimony of who you are to us and who you can be to them as well. And I thank you for every person here in this room today and God I pray that uh, that God there would be just a blocked out time with you there's no other way to gain perspective about these matters except to give you place so Father I pray that each one of us just give you place in our life be it in early in the morning be it late at night be it middle of the day whenever it is God, we block out time for you. Father, we block out time for showers. We block out time for work. We block out time for play. We block out time for family. God, where's the time that we block out for you? And Lord, really, that brings us to our first point. And we put you first in our life. And we don't just give you lip service of it, but Father, we actually act upon it and make that place in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.